Welcome to Ag Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, Canadian Poultry, Drainage Contractor, and The Trough Magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture. Bayer believes in recognizing and promoting women across every facet of Canadian agriculture. Whether it's supporting the next generation of female farmers or lending space on our website to help female-led businesses build their brands and products, Bayer believes in continuing to farm for change and for a better future with women in agriculture. And, of course, Bayer is very proud to support influential women in Canadian agriculture. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager and Fruit and Vegetable, and I'm here today speaking with one of our IWCA 2023 honorees, Karen Della Campbell, Farm Manager at Everdale. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. So could you tell us a little bit, I guess, about your background in agriculture and specifically a little bit about Everdale? What is it? What did you hope to accomplish with it? Well, thank you for asking, Alex. It's <laughs> nice to be here today. I kind of came to agriculture 20, almost 30 years ago in a non-traditional way, not through an agricultural program. So this would be back in 1995. I was actually on a path to studying to be a midwife. So that path had taken me to Edinburgh in Scotland, to Oregon, to study in Oregon, to a birth center in New Mexico. It took me all over the place. But when we were in Eugene, Oregon, there were a lot of farmers there. There were a lot of farmers markets. There was a local farm. There was people that were making cheese. There were people that were making spirits. There were people that were making like local brewers, all sorts of things. And I was really charged up about it. My boyfriend, now husband, started while I was in school. He started to work on a market garden there. And we both just like fell in love with what was happening. There was a mushroom farm not far away that we visited all the time. So I was really excited about that because I hadn't seen anything like that here in Southern Ontario before. And then when we moved back home here to Southern Ontario, we had an opportunity to move up to Marsville, Ontario. Shout out to Marsville which is about 15 kilometers north of Hillsburg, which is in Aaron Township, where Everdale Farm is located. So we moved to Marsville and started a market garden in Marsville, Ontario, and called it BB's Organic Farm after our, our daughter, who had just been born. And we started selling vegetables at the Guelph Market in Guelph, which is about half an hour away. And it was an amazing year. And the market garden was really successful. It was on a beautiful south-facing slope. It was like everything you could imagine for like soil, soil health, all sorts of things lined up. So it was a successful year for us. And a lot of people were would like stop in. They would be like, what's going on here? What's a market garden? And we were just learning as we went. There was no internet at the time. You know, I'm in my mid-50s, full disclosure, so we we're just literally learning with books in our hands. Like, what is this? What is that? At every step of the way, just being so excited by it. It's like, oh my gosh, this is called a cotyledon. Like all plants have them. Like we we're just like so naive. It was ridiculous. 
but loving every minute of it and made money off of it and had success at the farmer's market. So we continued on with that. And then a couple years later, that farm was going to be changing ownership. So we needed to find new land and purchasing land wasn't an option for us at the time. And one day the farm that I'm at right now called Everdell Farm used to be a free school in the 60s. So it is owned and operated by Everdell Place, which was Canada's first free school. So one of the teachers from the free school came to us and said, hey, I I heard that you're looking for, just came to the farm one day and heard you're looking for a new farm. So said, yeah, we actually are. He said, well, why don't you come and check out Everdale? I think you might like it. We're looking for farmers. So, you know, next couple of days, we, we came down and visited the farm. And it is a beautiful, beautiful farm. It feels really special. It feels really influential. It felt, felt like home right away. However, there were a lot of trees on the property. There was a lot of disrepair to the buildings. There obviously had been a lot of love and care at one point in time, but where we were at standing at that moment, there was a lot of disrepair. So we thought, let's just start with the farm. Let's just start with what we know, what we've learned, continue to grow on that and see if we can adapt it to this space and start something. The farm is a registered charity. So we thought, well, let's do the farm first and then we can figure out the social value piece and the program piece and the charitable piece next. So that's what we did. So we moved here in the fall of 1996, I guess, no, 97, and yeah, started a market garden here. So especially from being in Oregon, did you, like, was there kind of an example that you wanted to bring back to Ontario or was it just kind of the, the sense of community in agriculture uh, that's a good question. I think we we were just really excited to grow food. Okay. And at that point in time, we didn't really have an understanding of the community that can happen on a farm or that the connection through food in that way. So we just thought, let's just start a market garden and we'll continue to sell vegetables through farmers markets. And then we had a fairly large and successful wholesale business. And there's a few trailblazing organizations in the city that we would sell very regularly to food share toronto organics front door organics and these these are folks like mike schreiner ran toronto organics like the head of the green party he used to be one of our customers so he would buy regularly like a thousand heads of romaine from us so we we had these really strong relationships because there weren't a lot of people doing what we were doing. In Southern Ontario, there were very few market gardeners. There were a lot of home gardeners, but people selling to food box programs was just starting to emerge. It really, um, we could sell to our local grocery store at that time. And we did, we sold, we used to make these bundles of parsley, sage, rosemary and thyme. At Thanksgiving, we would make those and tie them up with a little thing of jute. I think we made like 2,500 of them one year for maybe Front Door Organics. I can't remember. It was like their Thanksgiving gift and got paid well for those. So, you know, we we had some innovation along the way, but we were still really, really green then about the possibilities of where the farm could go. We knew that we we needed to go in an educational place with the farm, but we 
we thought let's do the farm and we'll figure out that piece next and and then that sorted itself after about maybe three years here we started to have more infrastructure in place we started to have more capacity on the site like we built a wash station we had some storage we started to have that ability to once those were in place we could have more space to do other things and we passionately wanted to do the education piece so my background is also working with youth like I've worked with youth ever since like I can remember running different youth programs and skills programs and swimming programs and not tying programs and all sorts of things. We started to work with Food Share and they started to send their youth to the farm. And when that started to happen, we started to see this connection that happens. Not like we had had that within ourselves. You know, everyone talks about it as being like the aha moment. And then we started seeing the youth that were coming up to the farm, having those moments and seeing how then that carried them into positive change and emotional change within their lives. So we thought, let's, let's dig deeper into this. So that's, that was kind of the, the, the genesis and the starting of our youth programming. And then about maybe two or three years after that, we started an internship program, which is basically a skills knowledge-based program about the general principles of sustainable agriculture. And that's from the perspective of like from our perspective, but also from other experts' perspective. So folks of all ages would come to the farm for, you know, the internship program has run different lengths at different times, but primarily it was six month program, three season program. And there would also be multiple field trips, like a field trip every week or every two weeks to like an apple farm, to a livestock farm, to Michael Schmidt's farm, to all of these. So interns could have this broader perspective of what they caught them for agriculture, because my interpretation is much different than yours or the person sitting next to me. And you never know where somebody is going to get excited. So that program started and we ran that program up until COVID. Lots of like confluences and changes and and adaptations along the way, but it ran really successfully for maybe 17 years. That's really impressive. And I mean, for someone who kind of came to agriculture in a non-traditional way, you've made fantastic strides to spread that love of agriculture to a lot of people who might not otherwise have that opportunity. I think that farms are really important places. Farms have the capacity to bring people together in a way that other spaces can't do because they're active, they're animated, there's growth happening, there's change happening, there's loss happening, there's all of these graces happening at the same time. And if people have the space and time to be on a farm and witness that and and grab a hold of what holds value to them, then all these amazing things can can grow, like environmental stewardship, soil stewardship, love of birds. Like there's so much to learn. There's so much to see. There's so much to do. And one of the things that happens repetitively on the farm is people will come. We have community harvest days in the fall where we, I'll talk about a bit more about later, 
where we harvest our large field crops for the food banks. So these are carrots, beets, squashes, potatoes, mainly storage crops. And the reaction of someone who is in grade three and the reaction of someone who is 30 is almost identical when they're pulling a carrot out of the ground or a beet. It's just like, just joy, just like contentment, excitement, just this feeling of accomplishment. It's like, oh my gosh, this is a carrot. How did this happen? Like, it's so amazing when that happens. And then if you can build on that, and if folks are able to build on that in their own personal lives and carry that forward, then I I firmly believe that that's how environmental and social change can happen within a community. What do you like best about your role? What do I like best about my role? Oh, there's so many things I love about it. I love the people that I work with every day. I really value a team that is diverse in thought and backgrounds. Because I, I, I kind of, this might sound strange, but I, I kind of like it when things don't go well. There's so many plot twists in farming and you call it whatever you want. I like to call it a plot twist. Or, and because that's when that's when things are figured out is when those happens. Like I firmly believe that a, a, a step back is a step up. So this might seem at the time like a, like a large bummer or crop failure or something, but I firmly believe that there's a reason for that. Maybe that reasoning is just a learning, like I haven't paid close enough attention and I need to learn more, or maybe it's someone else's learning. So definitely the people working with like a group of people with a complementary skill set is incredible. And having the trust within that group is you move through things really quickly when that trust is there. And when you've done that work of sharing and planning with each other and working hard with each other and, and putting in the work to like having core operational values that everyone believes in. So it's not just my belief, it's the organization's belief in something that we're all working towards. So that is amazing. And what else do I, I guess, seeing where other former, like, I would love to keep everybody employed forever. But, you know, we're not a commune. Lots of people think Everdale's a commune. It's not. It's a really progressive working organic farm. And to see where some of our staff have gone is remarkable. Starting their own farms, working in, not all working in food and agriculture, but many have gone on to do that. But seeing and hoping that Everdale's operational values of curiosity and trust and equity are continued as a thread through their businesses as well. And I can see that. And it's really, that's really exciting to me. And these little dots all over Southern Ontario and some out East and some out West, these little pockets of smaller market gardens or there's a woman that was here a few years ago, or actually quite a long time ago, and she she came from the banking sector, the finance sector, and now she has this incredible sheep farm up in Gray County, and she's spinning her own fiber now. And I, I will never forget when she sheared a sheep here. She was just like, what? This is unbelievable. So having those moments for me and seeing how that that change 
in my life has become change in other people's lives is, is, is really rewarding to see. That's fantastic. And I, <laughs> where else would someone get the opportunity to learn that they love sheep shearing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. What is the biggest risk you feel you've taken? Definitely talking to you today. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have like that Canadian humility going on. I'm not great at talking about myself, but at the same time, as we were speaking about earlier, I try to push myself and learn new things. And curiosity is one of my deep core values. So I'm very curious to see where this goes and to talk with you and learn more. So so that that definitely is <laughs> a personal risk. I think maybe one of the risks that the organization has taken is we continue to alongside of our haven't really talked about our harvest share program, but I'll talk a little bit about the farmers markets. So we continue to go to farmers markets for 20 years. We went to several incredible markets witchwood barns the brickworks oakville market uh, bolton market brampton like all sorts of different markets the guelph market of course our local market here in erin many of those markets we were one of the founding farmers at those markets and that was really exciting to be part of that and to see the people behind the scenes how they talked about local food, how they talked about farming. And and this gets into like, there's so many different ways to connect to farming. And there's these these kind of food heroes all over the place. And a lot of the people that started those early markets were absolutely incredible. There was one one person who managed the Witchwood Barnes Market and she noticed that her tent was ripped. Two of her tents had gotten ripped. So she took the canopies from us at the end of one of the Saturday markets and sewed these gorgeous patches on the tents for us and fixed them. So it was pretty incredible to be part of that. But then at the same time, so we at these markets and then, you know, fast forward 16, 17 years later, you look around and there's a lot more farmers at those markets and there's more farmers markets And a lot of those farmers at the farmer's markets are people that have come through the Everdale Farm Internship Program. So there's all of these people that are so capable and providing such amazing food and collaborating with each other and like sharing, oh, how much are your carrots? Okay, I'll charge the same. And like all of this reciprocity within those that network, we realize that we don't need to be in that space anymore. Yes, we loved it. Yes, it was a community. And it was a very hard decision because at the same time, we're realizing that there's hunger in our community. There's problems within the food system to get food to the people that need it through food banks and different food programs. So we decided that it was important for us as a registered charity to start to play a different role within the food system and within our kind of social and regional sphere. So we shifted from going to food markets for 20 years. I don't even know how many markets that was. I'd be scared to guess. 
and that was a significant income stream for us, as you can imagine. Of course, farmers markets have their their great days and their not so great days, and they're very weather dependent and all of those things. Regardless of all of that, it was still a one of our programs and one of our income streams. So we decided that we'd start a project called the Good Food Project, and the Good Food Project is a food security project for people within the community. So the model that we have come to, so we have some partners within that project. Again, it's a collaborative project and we're working with food banks and food agencies. And what we're doing is rather than us growing food for people, we're trying to grow food with people. So Yes, we do just provide food. Yes, we store food and we provide food on a weekly basis to some food banks. But the bulk of the Good Food Project is growing large amounts of field crops. So we have carrots, potatoes, beets, onions, squash, maybe a few others. In large, large quantities last year, we grew about 50,000 pounds of carrots. And community members from different regions from within our partners network would come to the farm, help harvest it, put it in storage in our field crates, and then we store it. And then we wash and pack it and then give it back to them in November, December, March. So that was a huge risk for us to take. And it still continues to be a risk because it's outside of the regular income stream model. So we raise money for that. We write grants for that. Because the food, we can't just grow food and give it away. We have to pay our staff. We have to operate our business and put fuel in the tractors and all of those things. So that was a very big risk, yet it's more in line with the operational values of the organization. And there's these huge change that I can see and these connections that I can see when groups come to the farm. So for example, last fall, I think we had about 16 or 17 harvest days. And some of those harvest days were with an organization called the Sheldale Farm Park, which is in the Onward Willow neighborhood in Guelph. And there's two buses that came, 85 people came in total for the day. I think we harvest about 7,000 pounds of carrots and some potatoes that day. But people engaged in so many different ways Some people were like, you couldn't stop them. They harvested carrots like nonstop. They were just having so much fun. Other people were cooking because we had a cook tent set up and we had prepared some soup and some bread and some things like that. And they had brought some. So that's how they were engaging. Other people were sitting on picnic tables and just chatting all day. Some people were just going for a walk, but everybody left feeling rejuvenated, feeling like they had contributed for social purpose, for their own their own social value, but also for their own pantry. So they all left with food and they felt great ownership of the space. Like we do, we do not own this farm. The farm is owned by, and that's one of the reasons why we said yes to Everdell to begin with is because I think I said, we, you know, we weren't really in position to buy anything. We didn't know we wanted to buy anything. We're kind of like in Hillsburg. We're like, where's that? Why would we want to buy anything in that area anyway? But not owning the farm has actually turned into such a real blessing for us because it has allowed this other piece to develop and grow 
and it's allowed us to share the space in a way that is a little bit different. Obviously, we care about it and we treat it as our own, but we're very careful to not call it our own. We're very careful to welcome people, our staff, our volunteers, people like that it's their farm as well. Yeah, that it's not ownership because, again, you said like no one, none of you own the land, but you own kind of what you put into it and what you get back from it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really great way to put it, Alex. Yeah, I agree. If if we weren't willing to do that, I think we wouldn't still be here. Can you talk about a particular challenge that you faced and kind of what you learned from it, what you took from it? There's so many challenges. Yesterday, I accidentally let one of the diesel tractors run dry. So this morning we had to relearn how to prime it. <laughs> Again, challenges every day. Humility in on a farm, all of my mistakes are very public. Everyone's mistakes are very public. But no, a challenge, I think maybe right at the beginning, our family was growing. I have three daughters who are all confident, capable, incredible young women and know how to use machinery, know how to use tools. I'm so proud of them. And I remember we had those large wholesale contracts, but what was happening is that we were just kind of chasing our tails. We'd wake up and be like, okay, who's going where, what day, and, you know, pack the truck and go. And like, sometimes we'd bring our kids with us to like go to Toronto and back and do a large wholesale delivery. And it was exciting because we were selling things, growing things. The food was beautiful. Like our crop planning and our cover cropping was starting to work and the food was looking really healthy and had a lot of a lot of nutritional value. I wouldn't even call it busy. We were just kind of frazzled, a bit frazzled. So I was actually pregnant with my second daughter. So this was just us selling directly to distributors and bring there were not networks of people picking up the food for you at that time. Like that just didn't exist. And I remember this organization, this amazing organization in Montreal called Ecotere. They brought up somebody to talk about a new emerging model called the Community Shared Agriculture, the CSA. So I went to this conference and there were currently no, well, they said there are no CSAs in Canada and they were there to like teach people about what a CSA is and offer it as a model. So I went to this workshop, it was a two or three day workshop and came home so excited about it as often happens when you go to one of those workshops, it's hard not to like being with people and like talking about soil and food and worms and crop planning and cover cropping is really exciting. But this was something different. So would kind of a different feeling because it had more of a, an end game. It offered like a completely different way of paradigm shift of thinking about farming. So we thought, let's go for it. Let's try it. So we put out a pamphlet. We and basically what a CSA model is, it's you know, you can it's very common now, which I'm really excited by. I think there's about 1,500 CSAs in southern Ontario now. I'm probably not right, but somewhere around that. And basically, for folks that don't know, it is a vegetable subscription program. 
and different farms have different ways of animating that. But that's the kind of rudimentary way to think about it. So people come to the farm once a week. Some people bring the food to a central location. People get a box program. Sometimes people get to choose. There's all sorts of different ways that it can be animated. But for our CSA, we decided to start a little pickup at the farm. People would come to the farm either on a Thursday or a Saturday. It's a trust system. We have a point system. They have 25 points to spend for a small or 35 for a medium and then a large. And people just choose what they want. And we give everything a point value. And we have these little clickers and people choose what they want for their 25 points. And I think we had about 30 members our first year. And we've seen that grow and grow and grow and grow over the years. And we've had that CSA now. It's in its 25th season. So we're really proud of that. But it was a really big challenge for us to do that. We didn't have peers to look to, like, how are you doing this? We would be on the phone often to like people in Vermont and talking to them, like people that I had met in that network. So that was that was a challenge to not have a group of people that you could, we were kind of in the, in the dark, but listening to our customers, changing, adapting, but also trying to be consistent. So it taught us consistency. Like, so we have had for 25 years, every Thursday, we have operated this Harvest Share program and people have trusted us for that long to grow food for them and for their family. So it's a huge privilege for us and we don't take that lightly. So that I think is something that I'm really proud of and something that was also a big challenge to do. And yeah, has, has had huge ripple effects. Now you had 30 subscribers in your first year. Was it hard to get buy-in from the local community, especially because it was such a new thing? Or were you already attending markets and that was a kind of a way to develop that system? Yes. Thinking back on that, I remember like hand dropping little flyers in people's mailboxes. There were there was a group that came from Guelph because we had the Guelph market. They called themselves the GAT team, the Guelph approach team. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, I think there was like seven or eight households that banded together and they took turns coming to the farm because it is half an hour from Guelph. And I think slowly what happened was word of mouth because it was such a different way. And Everdale has a history of the free school and it has a history of doing things in a slightly different way. So that I firmly believe has always been an advantage for us because, you know, some people are like, I don't know what goes on there. Like it looks like a hippie farm to me, but we've been doing it for so long now that just the time spent and like other local farmers recognize that hard work. They see that and they have become friends over the years. We also purchase other food from other local small farms as well for our CSA. So if we don't grow it, then we'll buy it from another farm and we'll promote that other farm. So we have a collaborative approach for the CSA because we could never grow enough food for everybody in Hillsburg or Erin. There's absolutely no way we could do that, nor do we want to. And not everybody even wants to get their food that way. So having like a similar to how you build soil on your farm, you have to have a lot of different ways that you do that. And word of mouth, building your network, expanding your reach, all of those pieces were really important to us. 
I think we took out ads and papers. We had tables at conferences. We spoke at conferences about how it's run. Like, so we did all of that to build that area of our programming or business for however you want to look at it. But it was really fun to do that. I look back at our old pamphlets and there was a lot of explaining in those pamphlets. Whereas now it's like, oh, here's the QR code. <laughs> people can look it up. But we really encourage people to come to the farm to try a membership for the week, see if they like it, see if it suits them, see if it suits their household and what they're looking for. And when we have tried to do drop-offs in Erin or Orangeville, overwhelmingly, the members say that they want to come to the farm. And we've asked them many times, like we survey our members, like we talk to them all the time and they really there's a lot of networking that happens amongst them when they're here. There's people that bring like picnic dinners or people that walk their dogs here. There's people that toboggan here in the winter time. Dave, who currently manages the harvest share, people are bringing him like muffins and soups and things <laughs> from food that they've made from, from our food because they want to share it. They're excited about it. So I think that, as our job continues to be how to articulate it and how to talk about it and how to continue to align it with changing values in the food system and the value chain. And we've never been a political organization. We try really hard to look for the good. We try really hard to lead with trust, lead with kindness, and that serves us well. But we still have to do that as the population grows and changes. And, and we still have to understand. Like, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like fundamentally, people still want healthy, good food. But how you package that message has changed. So understanding how to package that message is a challenge because, you know, it's hard to do all of the things that a farm demands and do that bit as well. That's when having a strong team is really helpful. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you've certainly built that. So that helps. <laughs> like absolutely. Said. Absolutely. Can you talk about a big accomplishment or defining moment that you've had? Yeah, I think that CSA turning 25 is a big accomplishment for us. Winning this award is a big accomplishment as well. Also, the, the small things when I talk about our staff team, seeing how they grow and change and stay connected. And there was a woman yesterday that was here for the Harvest Share pickup. And she was an intern here about seven years ago. She now has a son. She came with her husband. He proposed to her at the farm. Now they're Harvest Share members and they live locally. So that's a defining moment for me. Like this is someone who came from a background who just had an inkling that they wanted to learn about farming and now is experiencing and contributing to agriculture in a really positive way. That's lovely. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you've received or what advice would you give to others who are considering pursuing a career in ag? I'm guessing you have a lot of experience with this because of the internship program. Oh, for sure. Best piece of advice I've had, I've received a lot of advice, some solicited, not solicited, as you can imagine. I think the best piece of advice, you know, always comes from your parents, like wear your sunscreen, wear your hat, 
<laughs> you know, all of those bits are really important. And your children, of course, they're always telling you those things too. Um, I think it's seeking people that are aligned with what you're doing and talking to them and asking them questions and listening really, really carefully. Because when you start something, there's so much intensity, there's so much learning, there's so much. And there's this inevitable, like, okay, I've got it figured out. Now I'm going to move forward. But with agriculture, there's so much shifting. There's so much changing. You're dealing with the weather, the wind, the smoke, the torrential rains, your staff, like there's so many things, there's so many pieces. So the more foundational knowledge that you have, the better, I think. Makes it easier to kind of pivot between things. Absolutely. Yeah, of course, you should also write a business plan, write a marketing plan. Of course, you should do that. I continue every winter. I do a lot of learning. I was involved in the food agri-food ventures course last year. I've been involved in the Laurier Women's Business Institute program. Like keep learning, keep evaluating, keep being open to doing something in a different way. But at the same time, like determine how you want to do something as well. Like if you work somewhere, not determining that ahead of time can cause lack of clarity with people. So being clear about the intention, being clear about whether it's something like a bunch size, this is what the bunch size, this is the customer, this is what they want, this is what we're going to do. This is what success looks like, this is what success is not. So giving people those benchmarks is really important. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, what advice would I give myself? Mm, wear my hat and sunscreen. <laughs> Have fun. Keep planning to do things outside of the farm. Uh, build your network with your social communities, like your farming community, but also your own personal, your own personal pieces is really important. I've never wanted like the farm to define who I am. Maybe that's because I don't own the farm, but I really enjoy that other people also feel like they own the farm. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that being able to step away from it with a bit of anonymity is really important and not always being like, not always selling vegetables to people or selling a farm school experience to someone or come for a community harvest day. Like I tend to turn that off at different times because I need my battery recharged in a different way. So planning for those overnight camping trips or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, going for bike rides or hikes, like you got to keep doing those things and plan to do those things. Yeah. Like you said earlier, rejuvenation, you gotta, you gotta be able to fill your own tank to help others. Absolutely. That's a good way to put it. What keeps you excited about agriculture? I feel like everything we've discussed is kind of the answer to that. I agree. There's so much excitement in agriculture. Two or three years ago, I can't remember, we had almost an all-female staff team aside from our core group. And that was really exciting and really different and really fun. And we got a lot done. It was 
amazing. And then the next year, we had almost entirely male staff team, which was, again, we got a lot done and it was exciting, but it was different. So you just never know as much as you try to build in certain things, sometimes just things align in a different way. I think some changes in the food system that I see, more opportunities for learning sustainable agriculture, regenerative agricultural alliances are emerging, soil health alliances are emerging. Like there's so much, like the fundamental knowledge around food and farming is growing in an exponential way. And that really excites me. More people are starting to understand and know Even though there is obviously a depletion of farmland happening, I think more people are aware of the importance of why we need that farmland preserved. So that I find really exciting as well. I think the other thing too, is that seeing Everdell grow into a space of inclusion is important and seeing other people use the farm as their own is very important. So for example, we work with an Indigenous group through SOHAC, which is a regional health alliance of Aboriginal organizations. They have a yurt on the farm. They come, they do full moon ceremonies. They grow food here. They do learnings and teachings, elder youth teachings, and they completely use the farm on their own. They just let us know they're coming to make sure there isn't a conflict. And that, to me, is an incredible success. Another success for several years, we've held a former staff member has held an LGBTQ plus event called Fierce on the Farm. Now it's called Kent Milkshake and it's a 500 person EDM dance party (laughs) and funds raised go towards the Good Food Project. So that's an income stream for for growing food for our charitable organization. So seeing Everdale step into these spaces and having people that are comfortable using the space as their own is really exciting to me because this brings change. So crystal ball moment, how do you see either the ag industry broadly or your smaller niche of it changing in the next five to 10 years? And what would you like to see more of? I think land access is a big piece. The depletion of farmland is is really alarming and the land prices are also alarming. So how are we, and at the same time, we've just gone through COVID where we everyone got a crash course on the food system and how it works, yet we haven't yet figured out how to protect ourselves in the future. We haven't like kept that value I think people still understand and still know and still are aware of it, but the convenience piece is is winning over. I think another change that needs to happen are more opportunities for farmers, small-scale farmers, to sell their food locally. Like, I love farmers markets. Obviously, we went to them for so long. Yet they, if you're a small-scale grower, sometimes going to a market for a whole day or for two days or three days a week is is a little bit crippling for your on the ground business because often if you're a small grower, your customer wants to meet you while your business is growing. So if selling to grocery stores, it's, it's difficult for us, you know, farming 30 years to sell to our local grocery stores. 
without going through these like series and series and series of steps, which yes, accountability needs to be there. Yes, traceability needs to be there. Food safety needs to be there. I agree with all of that. Yet we need to figure out an easier way for us to have our food in our local stores. And there has been a depletion of farms in our immediate area. So opening up areas, maybe the lands are owned by towns and opening those up to small scale market gardeners is really important. I think it doesn't have to be market gardens, beekeepers, like there's all sorts of innovation that can happen in agriculture. I'm excited about the food that I do see on the shelves in the grocery store. I'm excited about the new products that I see emerging. The agripreneur course that I was in this year, one of the women was making a gluten-free like food mixes like in tin cans because tin cans are are like the most recyclable material that you can use like in above and beyond because paper has a plastic liner so you know there's so much happening in those areas but it requires a, a lot of understanding of this like giant food system and it's hard sometimes it's hard and intimidating and very expensive to navigate so i would love to see more opportunities for quicker access to some of those markets yeah regulation is necessary and great but it can't be prohibitive if we want things to change or get better absolutely yes you said that so well <laughs> Can I repeat that? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Well, I guess this isn't so much a final thought, but I'm just thinking and ruminating a little bit on that last question about what is hopeful. And I find hope all over the place. But one of the recent things, my daughter came home. She lives in London in the UK. She came home for two weeks this summer and she said to me, I've never seen more wildflowers and more flowers on the farm before. And that to me was like, she grew up on this farm. She knows it. She could draw a map of it with her eyes closed. And that to me is so hopeful and such success. And then she said, and it's not just the farm, it's everywhere. It's like the roadsides, the towns, like she just sees such a difference. And to me, that is this larger understanding of biodiversity and why biodiversity is important, why soil health is important, is something that's really, I think, really hopeful. Thank you for listening to Ag Annex Talks, the podcast brought to you by the agricultural brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Ag Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts, or visit agannex.com to catch up on all our other episodes.